enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited for today's show. That is for sure. But before we get into it, let me tell you a little bit about my friends over at Prevenex. Their Joint Health Plus is the real deal. And if you don't believe me, look at all the reviews out there. So many of you have tried Joint Health Plus after listening to the ads here on the Rambling Runner podcast. If not that, then you saw me post about it over on Instagram as well. And for good reason. These guys know what they're doing. This product is the real deal. And you'll see a difference in just seven to 10 days. And let me tell you this, if you don't, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's it. 30-day money-back guarantee. All you have to do is go to Prevenex.com, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use code RUNNER15 at checkout. With all of that being said, I'm so excited to get into this episode. Anne has been someone who I couldn't wait to talk to. Anne Mar, I should say. I'm just so used to calling her Anne. Um, Anne Mar, who um, just not only is she an incredible runner, but for me, it was the transformation. It was going from, again, someone who'd run just under sub 21 5K in 2018, which is a great time, especially for someone who had just had two kids. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. With that said, she has lopped off nearly four minutes off that PR. Again, that wasn't just a time she ran after two kids. That was her PR at that time, 2048. She then drops almost four minutes off that time in two years. How do you do that? That's what I want to know, and that's what I couldn't wait to ask her. So we talk about that and so much more in this podcast. So let's get into it with Ann Mar. Hello, Ann, and welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for you to be here. Uh, man, I can't wait to talk to you about your transformation over the past few years as a runner. Anyone who listens to my show knows that I'm trying to undergo you know, kind of a radical transformation on my own over the next year or so. But you have, man, what you've been able to do is remarkable. It's inspiring for me to see. I follow you on Instagram. You got the handle Margs and Marathons, meaning margaritas and marathons. We know that marathons right now are all on hiatus. Are the margaritas also on hiatus? Um, No, neither are on hiatus for me. I am still training for a marathon. I'm pretending like um, it's on going through the marathon cycle. And I am also still drinking margaritas because I really never stop that even while I'm training. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So let me ask you. So, so what marathon did you have on the calendar, or you know, basically for fall of 2020? Or, or I mean, if you had more than one, then, then tell me those as well. But what was the original calendar looking like? Uh, the original calendar was. Marine Corps Marathon for fall of 2020, and that got canceled. And um, I also was going to always, once Boston became virtual, I was always planning to do the virtual Boston as a training run and just be a part of the running community. And I can't pass up that opportunity because hopefully it will only happen once. So um, yeah, so that is my plan uh, or was my plan, I should say. And 
now my plan is still going to do virtual Boston as a training run in September. And then I'm going to run a solo marathon in October, still, still go through the training cycle. And my goal is to try to run that solo marathon in sub three hours again. So we'll see how that goes. So have you run a marathon in training for another marathon before? No, I have not. So this is a new venture for me. So what makes you, besides just the allure of you know, running the virtual Boston race, which as you mentioned, like that may never happen again. So that's intriguing. But besides that, what are the other parts of that decision that made it uh, made it easy for you to to kind of go that route or something that I guess you could always pull out as a virtual race? But, you know, what made you excited to do that as part of a, a training for, again, running an extremely fast marathon, you know, shortly thereafter? Um, a few people like on Instagram and online had told me um that they had done back-to-back marathons and it went or not back-to-back, but in a short period of time, they ran 26.2 and turned around and did it again, even faster. And I kind of was like, I don't know, that seems a little bit unbelievable or a lot, but enough people kind of just DM me and said, Hey, I did that. And it worked out well that it intrigued me. And so I'm going to give it a try. And why not in a time when it's, there's not much to lose. You're not traveling, you're not putting up a bunch of money for a hotel and maybe it goes well, maybe it goes horribly, but uh, I think it's a good time to experiment with training and see what works. That's a good point. You, you really do have some versatility too, right? Because when you have your your solo marathon in October, is it does it have to go fall on a certain weekend, or is there some flexibility there in terms of being able to push it back uh, if need be? There's flexibility. I haven't committed to a weekend. I haven't decided: Am I going to do the Marine Corps virtual race? Am I just going to pick a weekend based on weather? around my area. So I'm leaving that a little up in the air right now. Or can I maybe get, you know, someone else who will run some of the miles with me. So I'm leaving that a little loose for now and leaving my options open. So So how has your training recently differed from when you broke, you know, you broke three hours in LA for the first time ever, a huge PR. And I can't wait to talk to you about that. Actually, no, let's talk about that first because, you know, because then we can compare it to what you're doing now. In LA, you broke three hours for the first time. It was what, a 26 minute PR? Is that correct? Um, yes, it was our 28 minute PR, 26 minute PR. Yeah. So, so pretty it drastic. was huge. Yeah. So at that point, was it was it a massive PR because like you had done just some incredible work leading up to that race? Or was it just a matter of you hadn't run a marathon in a while and you were kind of have been close to that shape for a while, but just hadn't raced a marathon up to that point in, you know, in a considerable period of time? Um, it was a combination of both. I had ran the Philadelphia Marathon in 2018, uh, but 
prior in 2016, I had a baby, had my youngest son. And so I had not done much running in between 2016 and 2018. It was that postpartum period. And I am, I have two sons and uh, with both of them, I just really took my time coming back to running after having them like did not run hardly at all for a year postpartum with both of them. And for me, it just the sleepless nights, the having to get up with them, both of them are horrible sleepers. And I did not do well with lack of sleep. And so I just ran with them in the stroller when I could and did a lot of walking. And then kind of that year postpartum was when I would get back into running. And um, so it wasn't until 2017 that I really started running again. And even that was not super seriously. So when you were, let's just picking up from baby number two, you know, because you'd already had, you know, baby number one and baby number two, you had this experience again of these sleepless nights. And that can just, I mean, my goodness, like raising kids is hard enough. Doing it on not a lot of sleep is even harder. And most parents struggle with sleep, but obviously every kid's different. And some kids are just not great at, at staying asleep or staying in their beds or whatever at nighttime. What was it like for you managing that process? Not only in terms of obviously you want to be your highest functioning self, but specifically from a running standpoint, managing your own expectations in regards to you know a recovery or becoming back to a fitness schedule that you were excited about or just anything along those lines, just kind of managing your realities versus maybe what you had hoped for in case of a, maybe a best case scenario. Um, I think the second time around was much easier than the first because I knew what to expect. It's always easier. Backing up even further, um, I had my first son in 2011, and that time my expectations were I'm going to come right back and run, no problem, six weeks after I have this baby. And I actually went and did that, and it was very painful. And um, I realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to go run six miles um, the day my doctor clears me. And so I, um, and then I also felt exhausted the rest of the day and was crying when the baby was crying and that wasn't good for anyone. And I'm very lucky to have a good support system. My husband is very supportive. My mom is very supportive and both of them kind of were able to when. I was tired and not thinking as clearly be able to kind of tell me like, and this won't last forever. You'll get back um, to where you want to be. And so with my oldest, I, you know, just kind of took a step back and was like, okay, this is going to be slower than I thought. And um, when he turned a year, it, I was able to 
you know, I, I stopped breastfeeding. He got bigger. I got back to running and then I ran my first marathon and got qualified for Boston. And so I saw that, okay, like you can come back even if you take a big break. And so the second time around, I having baby number two, I knew that going in. So I just had a lot more peace being able to let go and know like, you know, I'm not going to rush back for a year. I'm just going to take my time. And when I'm ready, then I will go for it. And that's what I did. So when, um, after kind of that year postpartum, I started running and I wasn't that motivated actually on my own right away. So it was pretty just easy running. And then my sister, um, when I was about a year and a half postpartum, she wanted to run a marathon. And she was like, hey, let's train. We don't live near each other. But she's like, let's both train for a marathon and then we'll race the same marathon and make a trip out of it. So that kind of got me motivated again. And I was like, well, if I'm going to train for a marathon, I may as well try to requalify for Boston. So that became my goal. And that has kind of kickstarted my journey to kind of these big improvements and just making um really taking my running to another level and it's been a lot of fun so yeah i mean shoot qualifying for boston is a huge deal and you know doing it kind of the way you did it you know obviously speaks to your patients coming back into running um postpartum but also speaks to just you know you you were a you know a high level athlete as a kid, as a swimmer, uh, and you came to running a little bit later on. Um, you know, not later on life. I mean, you were kind of mid twenties, but overall, it's not like if you were like this dedicated runner your whole life, which is interesting because oftentimes when someone hears about running a sixteen fifty two five k, and they think of a someone who's been doing this for a very long time, um, usually without any breaks and be able to build up years and years of consistent training, because that is a phenomenally fast time uh, for, for just about anybody. So I can't wait to talk about that. But before we do, I also want to talk about basically like this, this period of time, you know, that year that you take off, you come back and you mentioned before that originally you weren't mo- that motivated to do it. And then, you know, leaning on your support system to kind of get back in the flow. Once you'd done that, once you had gotten back into the flow and then qualified for Boston, what drove you from 2018 to 2020 to then all of a sudden bring your running to just a completely different zone? You know, um, I started, it was a little bit Instagram. Like I didn't know (laughs) this running world really existed. Cause like you said, I was not a runner growing up. I had no idea kind of this community even existed online. And I have, you know, I went to races, but I was never part of a running club or anything locally. And um, like other than Boston qualifying times, like I don't have really reference points for um, what a good time is or anything (laughs) still even now. Um, And so I uh, started 
my Instagram page when I was trying to requalify for Boston, mainly because I didn't want to annoy my friends and family with my run updates unless they wanted them. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, all like there are other moms who run a lot like me. <laughs> and um, it was just fun to see other moms chasing goals and um, other like women who are professionals and also balance training really hard. And then the um, marathon trials happened and that whole OTQ movement happened with the women and seeing all these um, just amazing you know, kind of normal people who are achieving amazing things and running. And I just found it really inspiring. And it just made me kind of want to see like, what could I do while still living my normal life? And um, I just realized I put all these kind of ideas in my own mind of, oh, well, I can't run you know, 10 miles on a Tuesday. Well, why can't I? And um, it just kind of opened my eyes to these own barriers that I was putting in my way. And yeah, so it's just been fun to see what I can do as an adult. And it's also been really um, kind of redeeming for my um kind of athletic career. Cause when I was a competitive swimmer growing up, I was a just super hard worker in practice. Like I would keep up with the fastest people on the team at practice. I would do every practice, all of the extras. And then I would get to meets and swim meets and in competition, I would just choke and not meet my goals. And it was totally mental. I just could not overcome those mental barriers. And I knew in my swimming career, I never was able to get the results I could have out of myself. And so for me, it's kind of fun to work hard at something athletically and actually now be able to get the results that my training shows I can. So it's just fun to kind of figure out that mental piece too, and know that now I can put it together. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. There's like, shoot, I just wrote down like five follow-up questions to, to the things that you just said. Um, so I guess touching on the swimming first, what exactly were some of the mental barriers that you were pushing up against as a swimmer and how did they, you know, what caused them and how do they manifest themselves? I just did not believe in myself. I mean, I would get up to the swimming blocks that you take off from and I would just be full of self-doubt and I would just psych myself out. And as soon as it, you know, it started hurting in the race, I would just kind of give up and um, not push past the pain. And when the pain started, I would just kind of give into, oh, you didn't train enough. Oh, that girl's going to pass you and just let them. Um, and yeah. And then every now and then I would kind of get really competitive towards one person and then I would perform really well. 
So it was in me, I just couldn't always get it out. And so I'd have like a few standout races, but I couldn't consistently get that to happen. And um, it was really just, um, I think, self-doubt and not being able to push past um, the pain in races, and which is kind of interesting. I, I don't know if it's partly maturity and partly self-doubt. Were you able to overcome that before your swimming career ended? No, I was not. I, uh, you know, I was always just mediocre, but um, my like teammates knew I was great in practice. They would call me the animal because I would like train like crazy, but I never had the really results that I you know, maybe could have, but I was never going to be like a phenomenal swimmer because I don't really have like the swimmer build. I'm pretty like short and petite and most uh, swimmers have, you know, like long arms and are taller. And, um, and now too, I think I'm such an endurance athlete. The longest swimming event is, you know, the mile, which is only 15 minutes long. And, um, and that they don't even race in high school. So, so were you able to excel in practice in part besides just the mental barriers, um, which I'm not a psychologist, I can't like dive into that, but do you think part of the reason you were able to excel in practice was just that you were able to kind of sustain your output through the entire, say hour, two hours that you guys were in the pool? Yeah. And I, we did have like two hour long practices. We did two a days that I would go to all the time, like beg my parents to go, you know, take me at 5am in the morning. And even when I was like seven years old, um, my team was practicing five days a week and my parents were like, no, we're only letting you go three days a week. And I was mad at them. Like, and so I was just always wanted to be there putting in the work. And um, that was just, has always been my personality. Yeah. Swimming is just a brutal sport. I think swimming and crew I'm sure I'm sure people can can email me and correct me here, but I feel like those are two of the sports that are just so brutal. In part, I think just being on the water is different. Um, the times of day, you know, they're traditionally, you know, early and you know, very early morning um, sports, which is, can just be so tough, especially for younger kids. You know, sort of a sleep perspective, right? I mean, like right. you're getting you know so many kids who are swimmers, like they're doing an hour and a half before school starts which is like oh, a yeah. totally different thing in terms of, you know, the kind of sleep needed and, and all of that. So kind of cycling back up to, you know, 2018, you mentioned how for you, part of the, um, part of the ways that you were able to overcome your own barriers and kind of get some external motivation was just kind of going, you know, a little bit deeper into Instagram and seeing other people who were doing interesting things, which, is so fascinating to me because there's so many people, and understandably so, who will talk about the perils that can, you know, can come about with social media use. And those are those are real. Right? I'm not going to say those aren't real, but I think that there's also some positives that come out of it as well beyond just connectivity with old friends. So can you dive a little bit more into that in terms of how you were able to get positivity out of Instagram in a way that didn't end up becoming something that was potentially toxic for you? 
Yeah, I think um, for me, like I see how you could go down the comparison trap and, you know, compare your times to everyone. And especially if you were like a professional athlete and it was your living or livelihood. But I think for me at this point in my life, I have just looked at it as fun and self-improvement. And the only person I'm really competing against is myself. And so if I can, when I looked at a you know, a woman who was similar to me and saw like, oh, she can do it. Maybe I can do it. I just looked at it as inspiration and motivation. And if, um, and we can both be improving our times and, um, you know, running fast marathons, it's not like there's a limit to who can do that. So why can't anyone do that who wants to do it? Um, so I kind of look at it like the more the merrier. So I don't see it as really having to be a competition, I guess. We can just motivate each other. And, and I learned maybe it's because I knew hardly anything really about running and training. I learned so much from everyone. Um, and I just had learned so much about how to train and what to do. And uh, before I even started working with a coach, I just gained so much knowledge from everyone. I really appreciated it um, because I didn't have that before. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think that that is something that has definitely positively affected me as well. Seeing people do interesting things and say, hey, you know, like, they were able to do X, Y, Z. And I, I think this means that I could probably do that, especially if, you know, say like before an injury or something that we were on a similar level in terms of training and then say, you know, say I'm out for six to eight months or they're out for six to eight months. And they look at someone and say, hey, I was here with them and they were able to train consistently. And now they're at this other point. I was like, oh, so if I could train consistently, maybe I could get to that point. Again, exactly. I think there's a lot of value in that. The problem then becomes... You know, if you start attaching judgment to those ideas or you start setting expectations around those ideas, which is where sometimes I get into trouble, it's kind of taking it like that one step too far. Have you ever have you ever fallen into that trap? Um, I have on occasion. And then I always kind of bring it back to I just remind myself like. I'm only doing this for fun and for myself. Like that sounds very selfish, but I'm only, I'm only doing this to, for my own improvement and really like enjoyment. And I always remind myself, my number one goal is to have running be something that is a healthy outlet for me and to stay healthy. And so even though I like to train really hard, I also, the what I like more is to run every day. So I don't want to get injured. I don't want my mental health to suffer. So if anything that I'm doing, you know, 
looking at someone on Instagram and comparing myself or pushing myself too hard in training and getting injured, then I need to dial those things back because my number one goals are to stay healthy physically and mentally. And I I think it's just, um, you know, keeping that top goal in mind. And I have to remind myself, but then I just take those proper steps to scale it back, whether that be like take an Instagram break or, um, which for me, I usually just have to remind myself, like we, you know, what, are, why am I doing this? And that's for me, usually all it takes personally. So, well, what you're able to do in the last two years, again, so went, went from in 2018, you set a PR in the 5K of 2044, which is really good, right? That's just a shade over seven minute mile pace, right? Like just like 702-ish, right? Then yeah. two two years later, again, that was a PR, which was like, hey, I ran great today. I'm feeling good. And you, you kicked some serious butt. And then in 2020, two years later, you run 1652. Okay. So I guess first thing is, if I had told you on that day in 2018, where you ran 2044 for a nice shiny new PR, if I had told you in two years that you were going to take four minutes off that time, what would you have said? Um, well, it's more like three minutes, but I still wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> is it three minutes? No, man. Well, That's no, four I minutes. Guess four minutes, yeah. Um, yeah, little shy of four minutes. No, I would not have believed you. Um, and yeah, I still, um, when I, yeah, when I got that time, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I text my coach and I was like, um, I, I can't believe I, I, I was in shock. So, um, yeah, everything just clicked that day. I had done, you know, 5k specific training, right off of um, my LA marathon training cycle. And so I was super fit and um, yeah, I, but no, I would, it's been a, um, you know, I worked really hard, but no, I did not think um, I would have been capable of that. I thought I ran a great race in 2018 and that was my peak. <laughs> so. and, you, and you did, right? I mean, I think this is, yeah. this is the important, this is one of the important pieces too, was that like, you know, it did it feel any different in terms of what your, I guess, in terms of like pride for your accomplishment, was it any different when you ran the PR in 2018 versus 2020? No. And if anything, I probably had more fun because uh, I was with people <laughs> at an actual race um, in 2018. And um, and even like it's interesting to think effort wise, you know, they felt pretty similar races. Um, and but it's just I from that point in 2018, that 5K kicked off training for my marathon in the fall of 2018. And I've just consistently put, you know, training cycle on top of training cycle since then. And, um, you know, I've had little niggle injuries here and there, but I've been able to work through them and it hasn't been anything super serious. And, um, I've just been really consistently training and, uh, working hard. And, um, so, but no, I am surprised 
So some people like to set out big goals and then kind of steer the ship in that direction. Other people like to focus on much more granular process goals. Some people don't like goals. They just say, no, I'm going to go out and do what I do. And I'm not going to focus on that sort of thing. Other people, you know, look at, you know, are very conscious of what other folks are doing and they try to stay in that same tier or zone. What were some of the things that you did just incrementally to get you to the point where, you know, running these significantly faster paces than you were running previously became something that you felt comfortable doing and something that wasn't like an anomaly in regards to where you could be as an athlete? Um, I think it was just each. um, I am very goal-oriented with my running, and I like to have a very specific goal that I am going after. And the reason I like that is the in it, like a workout when I'm having to push hard, I do like to, or what I need is like, I need to get to this pace if I want to meet my goal. And that's what makes me push myself to kind of that pain cave that I need to get in. And so I just each training cycle picked like the next goal to get me a little bit faster. And um, I went from um, after I got my Boston qualifier in 2018, then I thought, okay, well, I'll do like a half marathon training cycle and I'll try to break 130 in the half marathon. And so just in, you know, the my track workouts and that those intervals were a little bit faster. And um, then I took a little bit of downtime and then I started working with my coach and I wanted to break 40 minutes in the 10 K which I'm really excited to watch you do by the way, because I just went on that journey not so long ago. So (laughs) (laughs) and but it was just like a little bit faster paces. And um, and then I then I started uh, training for LA. And so nothing ever felt like a big jump. It was always just getting incrementally faster a little bit by bit. And um and I just need that like hard, fast goal to um, kind of go after to keep me motivated. And, you know, if I don't like get it, I don't get it. Like my 10K, for example, was a disaster um, because the race I picked, it was the first year that they were ever running this particular 10k locally and they like the course wasn't totally paved and there were tons of hills and then they marked the course like half a mile long so I totally missed my time goal and um, after I'd like done this whole specific 10k training block so you know sometimes it doesn't go how you want but um it's, you know, all about the process. And I still got faster during that training cycle. So, um, you know, it's just about the process. All right. So you have done some extraordinary things as a runner. We just talked about how as a swimmer, you didn't quite reach your potential in meets 
because of some sort of mental block or blocks that were, you know, not allowing you to fully tap in to what you were in terms of your current fitness. Not even like, hey, maybe someday I could get there. You're like, hey, this is my current fitness, but I just can't reach it. And something is stopping me when the race gets tight to really push it past this other person. Now, as a runner, you're knocking down PRs pretty consistently here. So what do you think has changed with inside of you that has allowed you to kind of knock down those mental barriers in running where they were able to kind of stand firm as in swimming? Um, I think a lot of it is just, you know, getting older and um, really maturing as a person and, um, just believing in um, myself and wanting to do my best in everything. I um, I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus. That I believe that He wants us to do our best in everything that we do. And I also just feel more secure as an adult now that I guess running and getting a PR doesn't define me. And so I don't think I get as nervous. And so it's like, I want to do my best, but I also, I feel, I guess, just like freedom to do my best. And I also like when that 10 K didn't go well, um, Oh, well, like, it's not the end of the world where um, I think in swimming, I would just get so tied up in um, fearing failure that I want to even like let myself succeed. All right. So a common theme here on the show is talking about what people do in that last 3%, right? So they've done the race there. They've put out 90% of their effort you know, no matter what race it is, from the mile to the marathon. And there's that last 3%, that hardest part of the race where you have to decide whether you're going to go completely all in or just take that little bit of an edge off, not giving up, but just not quite going for it, right? Just giving that 97% effort instead of that 100%. For you, what are some of the things that you like to do mentally to make sure that you're able to tap into that zone? Oh, I have mantras that I think of before the race. Um, like in LA, I had um, two that I definitely tapped into towards the end because um, the last like 10K were pretty painful. And um, I just kept repeating them over and over to myself. Um, one was, um, don't let all your hard work go to waste. Um, because I feel like that really sums up kind of my experience with swimming as I would let my hard work go to waste and not show it in competition. And, um, the other one was, um, that you've done harder things than this. And I, just that kind of reminds me that running is for fun. It is painful during the race, but it is something I choose to do. I chose to run the race and it's something I do for fun. It's not 
um, something I have to do. And that just helps me kind of stay in the moment and remember even when it's painful, I have chosen to be there and I need to enjoy it and press in and have fun with it. All right. So you talked about your marathon calendar coming up in the fall. You also talked about the fact that you love to have big goals. And when you're training, those are ways that you can really, you know, really helps to motivate you not only to go out and run, but even within the run itself to make the most of it. So beyond your goals for the fall marathon, do you have any other goals that are lingering inside of you that you want to achieve? Yes, I definitely have uh, big goals in athletics. I would love to someday do triathlon. That really intrigues me. Uh, With my swimming background, I have had people tell me for, I mean, forever since I was young, like 12 years old, that I should do a triathlon. So that has... um, been something that I wanted to do. But my biggest hang up though, is I'm scared to ride a bike on the road. <laughs> so that will be a problem. Um, and that will be a big fear. I have to overcome. The, you, the, the virtual, virtual Ironman is like the, the in vogue race. Now you don't even have to get on a road bike. You can just set up shop in your basement and just go at it. That is true. I know. And that has really intrigued me. I also don't own a bike. So that's another um, big hurdle. So I have a ways to go to get to um, triathlon. But someday it is something I want to do for sure. And I definitely want to do an Ironman. I remember watching Kona as a little kid and thinking like, oh my gosh, these people are amazing. I want to go do that. And um, so I don't have any immediate plans for that, but that is like a big goal someday to go do. And this is like, this is just like a conversation I had with Sarah Bishop like three years ago. It was like the same as that conversation. And Sarah Bishop is like, um, I love following her. Like she is my favorite follow on Instagram. And I'm like, oh my gosh, her husband's a saint. Like he lets her go do all these crazy races. And (laughs) I'm assuming he's home with all four of their kids um, while she's going to do all these things. And it's awesome. I think it's so cool. And I'm like, oh, I... I want to be Sarah Bishop in four years doing all this stuff. So no, she's super inspiring. We got, we got to end it there because I think anyone who listens to this show probably feels the same way. I know I feel that way. Um, I basically text her that, you know, on, on basically a monthly basis. And if she's listening now, you know, it's true, Sarah. Um, and she's the only one racing right now. So, I mean, how can we not all be jealous of that? So, so. true. So true. And thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. Good luck to you in the fall with all the marathons and good luck to you this summer. While, you know, training for the marathon in the heat of the summer is no fun for a lot of us, but you're doing it. So good luck with everything. Well, good luck to you, Matt. I can't wait to watch your transformation over the next year. And I know you can break 40 in the 10K. You'll do great. And thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun and so inspiring for me. I mean, I'm someone who, if you've listened to the podcast for the last two weeks or 
even you know, for many of you for much longer than that, you know that I'm trying to do something uh, for me is break 40 in the 10K by next summer, calling it mastering 40. Not only that, turning 40 next January. So with all of that being said, I can't wait to dive into this process. I'm doing it right now. And seeing someone like Ant have this enormous transformation. I mean, her 5K time now, I mean, my goodness, she can go out and win just about any 5K out there, not just the women's race, just overall. I mean, that kind of time is blazing, blazing fast. I see that and go, wow, what is possible? And she talked so much about that. You know, she draws inspiration from other people just the same way that I draw inspiration from her. And I think that's the best possible way of using some of these social media platforms. It's not necessarily about shoot, finding your news or finding out what other people are up to. It's about finding people in your field or hobby who are doing really, really cool things and seeing how you can learn from those people or draw inspiration from them or motivation or just create a community with those people that can help you in certain ways. So I'm excited to, uh, I shouldn't say I am, I was excited to talk to her about that sort of stuff too. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.